0: section 3. You will hear a scientific discussion about how people experience pain. First, you have some time to look at questions 21 to
1: 25. As you listen to the first part of the discussion, answer questions
2: 21 to 25. Scientists at University College London have made a discovery which makes mice pain-free and have reversed painlessness in a woman with a rare condition. I'm joined by Dr Natasha Curran, consultant in anaesthesia and pain medicine at University College London Hospitals, and by Professor John Wood, lead author of the study and a neuroscientist at UCL. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, thank you. Natasha, perhaps we can start with perhaps a rather basic question, which is why do we experience pain at all? What's its purpose? Pain is highly preserved
1: in humans because we need pain to to prevent us further damaging ourselves. However, what we know
2: in many people is that pain continues
1: past when it's useful for us. And
2: we're all familiar with the idea of sort of feeling pain, but, What is happening inside one's body? So when I stub my toe and I I scream and shout what's actually happening inside my body from that moment?
1: Well receptors in your toe are getting stimulated and they send messages down your nerves which end up in your brain and in your brain various things happen. In one part of your brain which is the somatosensory cortex that's the part of the brain that says it's your toe that's feeling the pain or the injury rather than your, your hand or your head. So that's one part but then it's much more complex than that because pain is a, an emotional experience so it's connected then to all the other parts of the brain which they, they give us our experience of pain if you like so that depends on our, the context in which we're having pain, our past experience, what we think the pain means, lots of factors. And then also, it connects to what we think we're going to do about the pain. So parts of the brain light up, if you like, which how we're we going to respond to the pain that we're experiencing. How big a problem is pain, I and mean, how big a burden is this for people to be dealing with? In the UK, it's massive. In two thousand and eleven, the National Pain Audit reported that thirty-one percent of men and thirty-seven percent of women live with persistent pain. So that's fourteen million people their quality of life is very, very poor, much lower than other medical conditions. It's as bad as people who have, for example, Parkinson's disease. One of the reasons it's really important to understand this is because we know that we can actually help these people if they attend specialist pain management services, Mm -hmm. we can improve their quality of life. And specialist pain management services have doctors, nurses, physiotherapists, psychologists, and potentially occupational therapists, psychiatrists, in order to help them.
2: John how thorough is our understanding of pain is is for example chronic pain different to the pain we feel when we knock our knee or or, or have a headache
0: Um, Well, there are clearly enormous mechanistic differences, and uh, it's very striking how uh, mechanisms to experience pain are conserved across evolution. And pain is really an essential survival mechanism. So the mechanisms that occur in people uh, are quite similar to those that occur in in mice, for example. And so we can make uh, comparisons between animal models and and the human experience. But uh, we really know very little at all about how pain is experienced centrally. Um, there are various parts of the brain that have been correlated with the experience of pain. But this is very, very uh, weakly done. In fact, it's to define a precise locus in the brain where pain is perceived has proved completely elusive. So the way we feel pain and the intensity of pain is, is uh, regulated by all kinds of things like circadian rhythms, emotional state. And we don't have many insights into how this actually works.
2: Why is consciousness linked so much with pain and pain with consciousness?
0: Well, there's um, a wonderful book by Philip K. Dick, uh, the person who wrote so many perceptive science fiction uh, (laughs) novels, and he says that pain and beauty are the two underlying themes of uh, human nature. (laughs) In fact, you know, trying to understand where the brain perceives beauty is just as difficult as trying to understand where the pain is perceived in the brain. Consciousness, obviously, is required for any kind of sensation. Pain is just one of those types of sensations that we're aware of when we're alive and awake?
1: Uh, well as an anaesthetist that's part of our main role, we c- surgery can't go ahead unless we have anaesthesia because in, obviously in the modern world we'd, and, and in most parts of the world we want to be able to anaesthetise so that people don't experience the pain of surgery and we know that there are some states of consciousness where people can undergo quite um, stimulating and unpleasant to most people experiences such as surgery but for most people they need to be unconscious so in a state of anaesthesia. Now listen and answer questions 26 to 30.
2: It sounds like we have some clues as to how pain works, although there's a lot that we don't know. Is that why it's so difficult to find ways to block it because we don't really understand the mechanisms? particularly well?
0: I think what we do understand is the kind of area that Natasha works in which is the, the sensation of tissue damage by specialised nerves in the skin and the muscle and the viscera and how those nerves are activated and send electrical signals so the, the activity of those nerves is, is absolutely required for most pain states uh, and so by focusing on them mm. we can actually find ways to treat pain without understanding anything about pain perception and so that's the focus of interest of most pain scientists and that's where anaesthetists also are working in terms of blocking the drive into the central nervous system. But pain perception itself is is completely mysterious.
1: A good example of this might be one I explain to my patients which is a phantom limb pain. Listeners might have heard of this already. It's when people can have a, a painful limb once they've had an, an amputation. So a person may have had to have an amputation for a medical reason such as the leg in this case let's say might become gangrenous Mm -hmm. so that's done under anaesthesia as a surgical procedure but after the operation and the wounds healed then people who are unfortunate enough to get this um, phenomenon can then experience sensations in that leg which has been removed and not just sensations that if they've had pain there before they can often experience pain. So even though the leg's not there, it's no longer physically present, the patient still feels that their leg's there and it can be painful. Mm. And of course that's very distressing and it also gives us the notion that pain is not just in the the nerves, the the peripheral nerves, the ones in the leg, Mm. it's modulated in the brain.
0: Yeah, if I can come in there. Yes, pain has yes. nothing to do with the peripheral nerves. Pain is in the brain. Mm-hmm. But the, there is a requirement for nervous input from the periphery uh, in order to feel pain. Uh, in in almost all states. There are situations where you can get pain after a stroke because you have lesions in your thalamus, Mm -hmm. and that's obviously some form of central pain syndrome. But almost all inflammatory pain states like rheumatoid arthritis or osteoarthritis or diabetic neuropathy, all these chronic pain states require the activity of peripheral nerves, and that's what we try to block without understanding the perception of the, the painful stimulus itself.
2: So Natasha, it's an interesting point that John was saying about us needing stimulation of our nerves sort of throughout our body, our Mm -hmm. peripheral nerves. So what's happening in the case of a phantom limb? Well, there's several theories and there's probably not
1: one overarching thing that's happening. We know that pain can create a memory of itself just like any other experience that people have. You might have you know, heard some records on the radio recently about David Bowie, for example, and that takes you, listening to that record, takes you back to a certain point. So listening to music can take mm-hmm. you to a certain point in time and some sort of stimulation, for example, movement in that limb, or something else, which is the peripheral, like John's talking about, that peripheral input, can cause a learned sensation to be re-experienced. It's not that the person's actively trying to recall that, that painful experience, who would want that? But it, So it's like anything that's learned. The, the nervous system's really, really good at learning things. That's how we've learned to do all the, you know, the great things mm-hmm. that, that humans and people do in their lives. Unfortunately, it's almost like it can get switched on for some sensations and then the person continues to feel that, that pain even though there's no obvious mechanistic reason for them to continue to feel it. That is the end of Section 3. You now have half a minute to check your answers.